thankfully, we see many churches actually trying to come out of that sort of unbiblical uh, thinking. So Peter here is writing to encourage the believers. Now, we don't know exactly where he's writing from. In fact, if you were to turn to the end of the book, in chapter 5, we see that he's actually writing, it, it says, Babylon. But people are, are under the impression that that is a code word to actually say that he's actually writing from Rome. He didn't obviously want to tell people where he was, otherwise his life would probably be cut short. So we assume that he was writing from Rome to the believers, both Jew, Jewish believers, Gentile believers who were scattered across the uh, Roman Empire. And in this case, a lot of these places are in northern Turkey. So he's writing to exhort the believers, to encourage the believers, to encourage them to be faithful in their walk with the Lord, to submit to the authorities where they can, to be good citizens, to be good servants to their masters, to be good masters to their servants, to be good wives to husbands, husbands to wives, and of course to be faithful believers to faithful believers, to encourage each other in their faith. Now Peter says that although they are in mid-persecution, and of course there's going to be more to come for them, he's encouraging them to live for Christ, to carry on declaring the good news of the gospel in their time. Now we are, the persecution that we experience, as I've already said, is nothing like these, what these, these people were suffering here. And I, I, I believe that persecution will get stronger. It will become harder to even meet together like this, like we are now. But we've got to carry on, haven't we? We've got to carry on encouraging each other, doing exactly as Peter has said, to be faithful to each other and to be faithful to our God. To submit to the authorities, to submit to the laws of the land within reason. If the law of the land tells us that we are never to meet, to meet uh, as Christians in a church again, then that's obviously something that we have to ignore and we have to keep meeting together, even if it means meeting in the woods. So Peter encourages them to carry on. Now there's a verse here, there's a couple of words, well, a word here in verse 2, which I don't want to spend too much time on, but I do, we need to, we need to look at it, and I, I think there are many people who probably get hung up on this. In verse 2 we read, elect according to the full knowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. That word there, elect, it means chosen, doesn't it? It means that God has chosen people. Now, I don't want you to think, well, if God has chosen people, what on earth can I do? In fact, if you are thinking that, I would say that that's a good indicator, a good sign that you are concerned about your own soul. The very fact that you have a concern shows us, really, that that is given to you by God. We are told in God's word that we, of our own, on our, you know, of our own accord, by nature, we would not choose God. So if we have a desire to know God, to want to be saved, that desire has been given to us by God. If we were to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 3, we read of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus and asks, asks him a question, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus gives him an answer, doesn't he, which is, you must be born again, or ye must be born again. It's a bit of an odd answer. And Nicodemus questioned that. 
I'm sure many of you probably know what it means to be born again. But let me just um, try and illustrate that with, with this. If we think of a baby, a newborn baby, what does it do? It cries, doesn't it? It will cry for what? It will cry for its mother. It will cry to be fed. Now, as I've already said, we would never choose God on our own accord. But if we are born again, our desires change. We will cry. We will cry out for God. And that is something that only God has given and will give. So our desires change from wanting to serve ourselves to wanting to serve and to love and to surrender our lives to God. Is that you this evening? Do you desire to know God? Do you desire to be saved? Well, that desire has been given by the Lord. So this word really, elect, it shouldn't hinder anybody from coming to Christ. It is a wonderful thing for believers to know that God has actually chosen us. It's a great comfort to us because if God has chosen us, then we, he won't let go. We won't be lost. Peter says in there, there in verse 2 that we have been chosen and that our salvation has been sealed by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a comfort to believers then, and it's a great comfort to believers now. In verse 18, it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain com- conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Salvation has been paid for by the blood of Christ, and it is guaranteed by the blood of Christ. So Peter here, in these next verses from 3 through to uh, 12, he gives the, or he explains to the believers that they have a hope. And I want to look at three things really, hope, joy, and peace. So firstly, let's look at this hope that Peter speaks to them about in verses 3 to 5. We read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again, so it's like being born again, unto a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So Peter, he encourages the people to look past the future, look past all the difficulties that they're going to face, to even look beyond the grave and to look at, to think of their inheritance, their spiritual inheritance, which will be waiting for them in heaven. Their spiritual inheritance. Now, as, as all of us we're not necessarily children now, but we were children at some stage. Uh, we had and have many privileges, don't we? We are able to speak with parents. Children are able to speak with their parents, to talk to their parents. Uh, whenever they want to, they can seek help. They can seek advice from their parents. Uh, we know it's not always the best advice, is it? But sometimes it's just uh, great to be advised by your parents. And so often our parents are ready to drop everything and come and help where they can or even sometimes just just being there is a help they can't necessarily do anything but being there is a comfort to us 
And if you're a believer here this evening, then you have been adopted into the family of God. And we have those privileges. We can speak to God. We can pray to God. But there's another privilege that all children have. It's an inheritance. Now, as earthly, as natural children, we uh, receive our inheritance, don't we, when our parents pass away, when our parents die. That's not necessarily a nice thing to think about, but when they die, all that they possess gets passed down to their children. Although in this day and age, most of it does, but the government get their, their cut, don't they? Now, as believers, we also have an inheritance, but that's not an inheritance that we receive at the death of our parents. It's an inheritance that we receive when we die. When we die, we are guaranteed this inheritance, this inheritance which has been sealed by the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, this inheritance in heaven. And heaven, where it says, I have not seen nor ear heard. We can't, I can't begin to describe the, the wonders that will be in heaven. But we read, don't we, that there will be no more crying, there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering. Surely that sounds absolutely wonderful. And where we will be with our Saviour, and we will see him. So people, so Christians live in hope. People, generally, they live in hope, don't they? If you were to turn to Luke 15, we read of the prodigal son. He lived in a hope for his inheritance. But unfortunately for him, that hope became too much for him. And he wanted everything now, so he demanded his inheritance. And it ruined him. But people live in hope for tomorrow, for the future. They hope that tomorrow, perhaps, work will go well. They hope that uh, things may turn out better, that perhaps they'll be given the all-clear from some sort of illness. Perhaps they'll see family, friends, all these things that they hope for. I'm sure many of you have read uh, Charles Dickens and, uh, I can't remember which one it is, David Copperfield. There's a character called Mr. Micawber. He always, well, he lived way beyond his means, but he lived in a hope, didn't he? He, he was sure that something was bound to turn up. I think that's what he said often. Something was bound to turn up. He lived in a hope. Now, if hope is removed, if hope is taken away from us, then life becomes harder, doesn't it? We don't know what to live for. We struggle to, to get through the day. And unfortunately, if hope is removed, so often it leads to despair. And to despair is... I suppose really to despair is to turn one's back upon God completely. And then when that happens, they, they believe that there's nothing to live for. Sadly, people take their own lives. And that, you know, the suicide rates, I, I haven't looked into it really, but I, I know that they've, they've been getting higher, especially since, since COVID and lockdowns and things like that. But if hope remains, then we find strength to continue don't we whether it's at work or at home whatever we're doing whether something is difficult we carry on because we hope in the end result whether it's going to look good or do whatever or whether we're going to get paid at the end of it you know we we have a hope of a result now peter refers to a hope here a hope that's not in a in a possibility but a hope in something that is guaranteed. It's a hope in the fulfillment of a promise. It says in verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible 
and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Nothing can change this inheritance. It's not going to go up and down like our earthly inheritance, perhaps. It is there. And he says that it's for you. In other words, it's got your name written on it. If you're a believer here this evening, we have an inheritance which has been prepared for us by our God. And it's a hope, isn't it, that does not hinge upon us. It's a hope that hinges upon God. In verse 3, we read that he is great in mercy. And in verse 4, this inheritance has been kept for you. If we are hopeless, if we are without hope, it's not because of God, is it? It's because of us. It's because of our own weaknesses. He has given us every reason to hope. He's given us the, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered and died for our sins. It's a living hope that we are given. It's not a, a dead hope or a vain hope. It's a hope that is living. And in verse 5 it says here, who are kept by the power of God through faith. This word kept, it's an amazing word actually. The Greek it's, it's actually it refers to like an armed guard, like a garrison of soldiers. So if you were to think of a garrison of soldiers who were guarding perhaps a town or a city, that's what this is speaking about here. In fact, in verse 5, this is actually speaking about you, the believer. In verse 4, it says that your inheritance is being reserved for you. It's being kept for you. And then in verse 5, it's saying you are being kept for your inheritance. You are being saved for that reason. The emphasis changes from the, from the believer, sorry, from the inheritance to the believer. So we are told to think of what we'll have at the end. Where you will be at the end of our lives. In John uh, 16, I'll just read a few verses from John 16, 20, 21. It says, a woman when she is in travail hath sorrow. So when she's giving birth because her hour has come but as soon as she has delivered is delivered of the child she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world and ye know therefore ye, ye now therefore have sorrow but i will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh away from you no a pregnant woman she goes through pain and difficulty when she gives birth but we are told that she forgets about it when she holds that baby in her arms. And I think I remember when our first boy was born, I think the midwife said, oh, you'll do it all again. You know, we've got four. Um, but it is, isn't it? You, you forget about the pain and suffering you go through because you have that child. You know, when we think of heaven, when we think of what is reserved for us in heaven, Surely it doesn't matter what we go through here, no matter how difficult this, this life may get, how, how hard our pilgrimage may be. We are to think of what there is to come. So Peter tells us to look at that, to think of that hope that you have as believers. Think of the hope that you have. And surely if we have that hope, then we can continue through this life with joy. Our second heading, joy, 
verses 6 to 9. 6, in verse 6 it says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. We are to rejoice in this hope. Even though we may suffer greatly for it, we are to rejoice, even in our suffering. When the disciples were persecuted for the sake of the gospel, what do we read that they did? In the book of Acts in chapter 5, we read that the disciples, they were joyful because they were counted worthy to suffer persecution for the sake of the gospel. I wonder how many times have we feared persecution that we've done nothing? That we haven't actually been outspoken, spoken up for Christ or for the gospel because of fear, because of the fear of persecution, the fear of what man may say, man may think. We don't really like confrontation, do we? When ultimately, I suppose the worst thing that will happen to us here at the moment is we'll be shouted at, we'll be called names, and that's nothing really to, to worry about, but it can hurt, perhaps mentally. But we are told that we must stand. In verse 7, we read that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Our faith will be tested. Now, if we never do anything, if we never stand up for Christ, if we never say anything or do anything that perhaps might be a challenge to non-believers what does that actually prove about you and me this evening well it may prove perhaps that our faith is weak or does it prove that our faith perhaps isn't even genuine in the first place I want to just uh, read a few verses from the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 and this is, I find this quite, quite challenging, really. This is, I won't read the whole thing, but two or one uh, particular type of soil. It says, Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no de- deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And then, and some fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked them. And then what, uh, how, how Jesus explains that later on. He says, But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Perhaps you know someone like that this evening, someone who has professed to be a Christian. It appears that they are on fire for the gospel. I, I know, of, know of two people like this, who they, they, sort of, they did their utmost to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. It was almost like they, that's all they ever did. But unfortunately, when persecution comes, it says they have no roots. And that's what happened with these people. 
they turned away and they are now they're not walking with the Lord but these things these trials these tribulations that we are promised that we will go through therefore we should not be surprised in chapter 4 of Peter 1 Peter and verse 12 it says beloved think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you this is perfectly normal we in fact we are to expect these things but what was that verse I read earlier on in in John 16 in the world you will have tribulation but what does Jesus say after that he says but be of good cheer I have overcome the world isn't that wonderful isn't that a great encouragement to us all because he has overcome the world because we have an inheritance which is incorruptible which we will receive after this life now we are to expect difficulties but there's a little word here in verse 6 which you it's probably it's very easy to gloss over in fact in the AV which we have in front of us it's, it's worded a little bit differently it says here wherein you greatly rejoice though now for a season if you were to look up the Greek it means a little or a small while we're only going to suffer here on earth we're only going to go through persecution for a little while it's not going to last forever now our, I can remember as a child I couldn't wait for school to finish I don't mean at the end of the day, I mean finish school completely and go out into the working life. It seemed to drag on and on and on. It just seemed to never end. But the older you get, you realize actually time just flies by. It goes very, very quickly. So whatever difficulties we pass through here on earth, it will only be a little while. It won't last that long. But what we've got to remember is our... Our inheritance will be for eternity. It'll be forever and ever and ever. Life is short, isn't it? And eternity is forever. Surely it is better for us to suffer here on earth a little and experience the love, the joy, the peace of God in heaven for an eternity. Surely that is much better than to turn our back upon Christ today to experience the, the fun of the things of this world and then to suffer an eternity in hell. Surely none of us want that. Perhaps, or I hope that we can all uh, side with, with Moses. In Hebrews 11, we read that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction, didn't he, with the people of God, with his own people, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin again for a season for a little while is that you and me do we are we happy to go through these difficulties for a little while and then experience that inheritance which is promised to all of God's children for ever for eternity so Peter he encourages them to look beyond the grave to look beyond the difficulties that they will experience because they will soon experience paradise, bliss, heaven with Christ. So hope gives joy. And this joy, if we have this joy and this hope, then surely we can have peace.
we can have peace knowing that our salvation has been done for, for us in Jesus Christ. He has done everything that is needed to save you and to save me this evening and that our inheritance is kept. It is, it is kept for us and that he will keep us for that inheritance. Surely that hope gives us that joy which gives us this peace to know that we will one day be with our God. In verse 10 to 12 we read that the of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. It was talking about the greatness of our salvation. Now in Hebrews uh, 2 we read, how, how shall we escape? How shall we escape the wrath of God if we neglect so great a salvation? And this salvation, as it says here, this is the salvation which was foretold by the prophets of old, prophets in the Old Testament. They were speaking about the coming Messiah and all the... Uh, uh, the, the sacrifices, they all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the disciples preached about the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything completely agreed with each other. There was no contradictions, as some may think there were contradictions, but there was no contradictions from the Old Testament prophets, prophets uh, preaching to the New Testament disciples preaching. They all point to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact is that Christ has done it all. We can add nothing to our salvation. We can take nothing away from salvation. And at the end of verse 12, it says that even the angels desire to look into these things. In other words, angels, they wonder what it's like to be forgiven. They wonder what it's like to, have, to be reconciled to God. The, they, these are all things that you and I can know this evening. We read in Isaiah 55, or we are told in Isaiah 55, should I say, that we are to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. Will you this evening, if you do not know him, will you seek the Lord while he may be found? Will you call upon him while he is near? Jesus Christ suffered for sinners. He suffered for us, and he suffered for us because of us. And if he suffered because of us, surely we should be willing to suffer for him, even for a season, for a little while. And then in verse 13 it says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Therefore, wherefore. In other words, because of this, because of this hope that you have of your inheritance, because of these things, because you have this hope that no one can take away from you, it doesn't matter what you go through. It doesn't matter what we go through here on earth, but we've just got to keep going. We've got to press on. We've got to keep following our Lord. We are on a pilgrimage. This earth is not our home. We have a home in glory. It's a great comfort, isn't it, to believers? But if you're not a believer here this evening, I wonder how this actually makes you feel. What comfort do you have? if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ? What comfort is there do you find in this world? Well, you can know that comfort. You can have that comfort for yourself. In John 6, we read that Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. If we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, he will not turn us away. 
And if we do that, then it doesn't really matter what we face, does it? That we can go through the difficulties of this world because we have that assurance of inheritance, that inheritance which no one can take away from us. I just want to close with two verses from Hebrews 12. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us run that race. Think of what you'll have when it's all over. Think of what you'll have when we will be in heaven. Because it's there where we will see the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will be with him forever and ever. Amen. Well, our last hymn tonight is a, it's a hymn about heaven. 157. With harps and with vials there stand a great throng. In the presence of Jesus and sing this new song unto him who hath loved us and washed us from sin. Unto him be the glory forever. Amen. We'll stand and sing 157.
Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen.